0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Bridge to Change podcast hosted by Jeff Nash. We're continuing our conversation today with Scott Matazar discussing how to avoid legal problems. Jeff? Thanks, Catherine. And Scott, thanks again for joining us here. You know, today's podcast of how to avoid legal problems, I think is just so relevant in today's day and age with financial advisors. You know, firms are... In the news almost daily getting fined by regulators, advisors. It's a litigious society that we deal with and advisors have to deal with not only clients, but their firms themselves. I recently remember an article that I saw, does a firm have an advisor's back? And I think the clear answer is a firm absolutely can have an advisor's back as long as their interests are aligned. And as soon as those interests no longer are aligned, then clearly what we've seen in the industry is, is firms actually won't have an advisor's back. And Scott, I'd love to have you maybe kind of, I know you have the opportunity to protect and work with advisors in a lot of these scenarios. And let's have you kind of weigh in on what you've seen in the marketplace and seen from advisors as it relates to how to avoid some legal troubles and whether firms really do have their back. Well,
1: sure, Jeff. And I'm happy to do that. I can tell you, I I represent a lot of advisors um, who are either facing the, the threat of termination or who have been terminated and, yeah, and I read that same article you're referencing, and I can tell you that firms uh, only have advisors' backs as long as they are useful and profitable to them. And the minute that they're not, they will they won't hesitate to throw an advisor under the bus. Um, sometimes for the the most um, ridiculous of reasons. I mean, years ago, I represented an advisor uh, at Edward Jones who was terminated allegedly for not paying for his sandwich. In uh, the company cafeteria that he didn't swipe his key card to make sure it got taken off of his debit account uh, from his meal plan. Um, so that gives you the sense of how petty firms can be when they terminate. Um, well, one thing I can certainly tell you is, unfortunately, a lot of advisors come to me um, after they've been terminated or when they are on the brink of termination. And, and, and as I get into it, I find out that they were questioned, uh, interrogated, you know, uh, perhaps weeks or months earlier uh, by an internal investigations unit at their firm uh, and, and didn't do anything about it and, and thought that the problem had blown over. And I, I really cannot uh, say this strongly enough. Uh, there is no such thing as just a friendly chat with compliance. And if an advisor has been summoned to an interview uh, with with an in-house lawyer or an in-house compliance person or an in-house investigator, they should assume that they have a target on their back. It does not mean necessarily that they will be terminated, but they need to start planning for the possibility of termination and not sit there in denial and hope that the whole problem will just blow over because it does not happen.
0: Yeah, and I think what you're referring to is clearly a, a normal audit, which happens you know, annually and in some cases even multiple times a year, is, is a normal course of doing business. But, but separate from an audit, when they're calling you in for an interview, there, there's something that is amiss. And, and what, I've, what we see you know, is there's a much more of a shoot first, ask questions later, let's just protect the firm at all costs, I think, approach to some of this, these, these happenings that that's absolutely the case. Uh, firms will often
1: just terminate an advisor if there's something that they uh, are concerned about regardless of whether or not they've reached a conclusion that the advisor did something wrong. Uh the firms are ultimately concerned number 1 with um risk avoidance and risk management from their standpoint and, and it's it's they would much rather just fire an advisor about whom they have questions. Uh, it's easier to do that than it is to try to dig into things and determine whether or not, in fact, their suspicions were misplaced, uh, and and that is often the case that advisors get fired and then have their have their U fives marked up uh, after termination, you know, without the firm really having reached a, a reasonable conclusion on those findings.
0: Yeah, and I think what we should kind of qualify for the listeners out there is, look, there's a lot of different aspects of legal, right? There's terminations, there's customer complaints, there's you know, outside business activities, and there's also when you leave your firm, right? We spent the, the first podcast or two talking about leaving the firm, so we may not spend any time on that for this one. But, but everything from interacting with outside business activities to clients, client complaints, all of these things can lead to some legal legal obstacles, legal challenges, and, and can, can put advisors into some jeopardy if they're not careful. I mean, I know I've heard of advisors who have complained about, you know, literally working with uh, an outside business activity and that coming back to bite them. You know, maybe you could spend a couple minutes just talking about some of the different categories that you've seen.
1: Sure. Um Undisclosed OBAs or allegedly undisclosed OBAs is certainly certainly one category. Uh, a have seen advisors terminated for um, customer complaints that didn't really have a basis in fact. Again, it's just a matter of the firm is uh, g- taking a guilty until proven innocent uh, approach. Um, and, but I've also seen advisors terminated for just being general malcontents and speaking up about things that they think are wrong at the firm. Um, And, and then the firm manufactures an excuse to terminate the person and try to separate them from their book. Um, And that often comes up in the context of, um, you know, uh, partnership disputes where they just decide that they're going to, you know, take sides with one advisor over another. And it's easier to just terminate one of the advisors and consolidate the book with, with, with the more senior person, usually. Um, unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of the time, uh, termination is driven as much by office politics and business considerations, uh, more so than actual basis or merit for doing so. And so what
0: do you do, right? Is there a way to protect yourself from this stuff?
1: Well, yes. I mean, it, frankly, taking... Uh, detailed notes after any such meeting or interaction with legal or compliance about who said what to whom um, or following up with an email afterwards saying, you know, uh, you know, following up on the meeting we just had this morning. You accused me of A, B and C. Uh, This this is not true because of because of one, two and three. And here's the documentation to prove it. And if you you paper the file, so to speak, and demonstrate that there is a lack of merit to the allegations against you. Um, it will often cause the firm to think twice about terminating you. Um, you know, frankly, the other thing you can do, and it's not a matter of a pitch for business for me, but but for anybody, is hire qualified counsel who can coach you from behind the scenes. Um, if you're, about to, if you're going to be summoned in for uh, another interview or if you've been gotten a notice that you're going to be in, called in for an interview, hire a lawyer. They can help coach you about how to handle that testimony, about what to say and, and how to say it. Um, but really, it, it, it comes down to documenting, documenting, and documenting so that you have created a, a record of the fact that they uh, are out to get you um, and that there's no basis
0: for them doing so. Should you leave the firm in in kind of in anticipation of some stuff happening here, right? So if you get called in while the investigation is going on, do you leave the firm in the middle of it? Uh, It it, I would say you have to depend
1: depends on a case by case basis about the tone and tenor and the direction that the investigation is going. But what you definitely should be doing is at least exploring your options. Uh, You need to have somewhere to go um, in case things go south. But you know oftentimes again, you know when one is terminated, uh, the advisor then gets a black mark on their U5 and it makes it will make it harder to leave. So I would say if if an advisor feels that the termination is imminent or likely, yes, the, then then you pull the uh, you pull the escape cord and, and get out and get to a new firm before that U5 gets filed. Um, but I don't know that you necessarily have to, overreact and panic, but you have to be proactive rather than reactive in addressing the situation. And again, it comes back to not being in a state of denial and pretending you know, that the problem is just going to go away if you ignore it.
0: Yeah, I've often wondered, right, do firms actually mark someone up who leaves in the middle of an investigation? And we never know if the investigation, how it would play out, right? So it's a it's a predicting the future kind of thing. But do a, does a firm mark somebody up and say, hey, they left while being under investigation, and now so they get marked up even if they were leaving on their own in advance of the investigation being closed out? Uh, yes, Jeff, they absolutely
1: do. There's a, there's a spot on the Form U-5 that the firm will check um, that, that indicates that the advisor resigned while under internal review for potential violation of firm policies or procedures or industry rules or standards of conduct. So. You know you're at least you're at least marked as voluntary on the u5 that you resigned under your own power rather than being terminated but if you leave in the midst of an internal review into your activity uh, the firm will disclose that on the u5
0: do you happen to see that more from w2 firms versus 1099 firms or it's just there's no rhyme or reason to that one uh because it kind of lets the firms off the hook is the way i think about it they don't even have to finish the u5 they don't have to finish the investigation they can then mark somebody up in any event and still try to retain some of the business um which you know again in the W2 world we if a lot more firms are trying to retain that business versus the 1099 so I'm wondering if you if you see a trend or it really doesn't matter on that side of it
1: no i think it's i think it's egalitarian on that point jeff and, and they actually do have to complete the investigation there's another field on the U5 that once the investigation and it's really not an investigation capital I. It's an internal review small I. Once yep. that review mm-hmm. is completed, um, they're obligated at a later date to file an amendment to the U five, uh, indicating that the internal review is complete and what their findings were. So okay. the the firms will do this one way or the other. Not you know even in the um, independent space where they're not using it as a wedge to try to retain business, but because they've got reporting obligations to Finra that if they think uh, that an advisor has a red flag, they are going to bend over backwards to report that to FINRA because they're more worried about FINRA um, coming back at them for not letting them know that there was an issue. They'd rather upset the advisor than upset FINRA. So they err on the side of sort of oversharing with FINRA on this stuff.
0: Yeah, the uh, I appreciate you sharing that. That's uh, that's actually insightful for me, as I didn't realize that they still have to close out those investigations. You know, pivoting a little bit, and we think about this stuff. One of the things that I've seen is advisors joining firms, and firms saying, "Sure, no problem. You can do this type of a business or this type of an outside business activity, or or you can do X, Y, or Z." And then the but that that event is I'll call it gray and later get the advisor in trouble, right? And while firms I've always experienced kind of are in the mindset of firms can be, they'll get fined and advisors can get put out of business. That's the expression I've always used, right? And I'm not the attorney clearly. Um, Is there any merit to how I think about that and how I describe that? You know, Just to kind of level setting for folks out there, be careful of what a firm may let you do because just because they let you do it doesn't mean it's allowed and it could still get you into trouble.
1: Well, I, I think it's um, well. Yes, there is automatic to that, and in fact, I'm dealing with a situation like that right now, where uh, a client disclosed uh, an OBA to the firm uh, a couple of years ago. It was vetted and approved by the firm, but they uh, they've claimed that the nature and scope of the OBA changed over time. It broadened and modified, and that the advisor did not properly disclose to the firm those changes you know uh, my client obviously says it's all part and parcel of the same general approved conduct um and you can't reasonably expect me to to update the firm every time i'm doing something that's a little bit different um within the scope of the the more general oba and the firm took a very different position and used that excuse to terminate my client, and and presumably now we'll try to use that bad PR to make a play for his book. So you know my my advice is that advisors should always, um, if there's any meaningful change to the scope of their OBA activities, um, that they ought to be updating the firm um, on a regular basis and making sure that they are getting uh, approval all along the way. To immunize themselves from from problems.
0: And kind of the last category I see is that advisor-to-client relationship. Uh, You know, a lot of the clients, a lot of times an advisor will meet with the client and they'll just after the meeting, even though it's been a client has been there for a long time, after one particular meeting, they just can tell it, hey, that wasn't a great meeting. You know, you know, do they do anything different after that meeting? I would assume document, 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 but are there other things they can do? you know, kind of ongoing with those client meetings that are happening on a, that are normal meetings, as well as those that may just don't go as well as you, you know, the client challenges you and or is concerned about something. What what do you say to those advisors?
1: Well, I, I think with those advisors, you know, again, not ignoring the problem. Um, and, and, you know, this is a good time for you to uh, to enlist the assistance of your branch manager or your, or your compliance person in your branch to say, you know, I just had a meeting with a client and it didn't go as well i've got got a a little bit of a funny feeling about it i haven't done anything wrong but here's here's what's occurred this is where the firm can actually help you right um you know because the last thing they want is to be surprised with a customer complaint down the road um and telling them look the customer didn't complain about anything but i just sort of feel uneasy and enlist the assistance of of management to help you smooth it over or uh, figure out how to be proactive about addressing the situation. But, but again, Jeff, to your point, absolutely. Um, document, document, document is always the, the key provision there. Um, and um, following up with the client to see uh, if there's anything else, after a couple of days of reflection, if there's anything else you can do to, to uh, address their concerns.
0: I think that's a great idea of using kind of going to the compliance or the management uh, for advisors. I mean, so often advisors are, you know, it's, I don't know if the word is afraid, but intimidated and just want to avoid it. Right. Uh, and they kind of put the, you know, kind of bury it as much as they can and pretend it didn't happen. And I think that's a, a great example of when you should be proactive in utilizing folks. Uh, and And for those advisors who have you know, there's clearly going to be advisors who may not have the best relationships with, with their management and they're going to be concerned about that. But I still think it's an example where they need to protect themselves. And the best way to protect themselves is being in, in front of those things. Absolutely,
1: Jeff. I mean, the firms, more than anything, firms hate surprises. So if they if they get a complaint letter a month or six weeks later from this customer and they find out that you had a, that the advisor had a, a disquieting phone call with that client, you know, six weeks ago, and didn't say anything to management. It's not going to do. that's not going to put the advisor in in a great light with the firm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how it's sometimes it's not the end. It's the it's not the event itself. It's the way the event gets handled, right? And that's the uh, that can be create more damage than the than the initial event. Absolutely,
1: that's absolutely right, Jeff.
0: Yeah. Hey, Scott, this has been great information, great insights, and and I know our listeners will get a, a lot of valuable information out of this. Thanks again for your time today. My pleasure.